Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning as we welcome you along to the programme, the final one of the week. John Paul, not available to us uh, today. So Bernie is taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us, so 818 You can also text and uh, WhatsApp to 86 We are going to be... Uh, talking through what happened at the Public Accounts Committee yesterday because I've got a member of the Public Accounts Committee uh, due to join me shortly in studio. And that's uh, Fina Gale, a Dáil Deputy at uh, Colum Burke. And he's going to join us just to, for his take on what it was like to be in that room yesterday. Um, I certainly was watching it on uh, the Oroctus TV and I imagine a huge number of uh, the, the, the viewership figures for Oroctus TV, I imagine, went through the roof yesterday, as I know they did the day before as well. And it was quite draw job, dropping. I thought the day before was quite, quite explosive, but it seemed tame in comparison to the Public Accounts Committee uh, yesterday. Today. And, you know, the one thing and it came very early at the beginning of the session was when the chair of the RTE board, Suen Nirali, um, came out and uh, said, you know, appalled about the payments and how the payments were made to um, Ryan Toberty, but appalled about how these payments were recorded and how they were presented in the RTE accounts. And I think she is the first And it was the first time that we heard somebody from the RTE board say that this was presented as an act to deceive. And while the rest of us, I think, looking on at this, knew that it was an act of deception. I think we were finally waiting for somebody from the board to come out and put their hands up and say, yeah, look, I now have all of the information in front of me. And this definitely was an act of deception. But, you know, once again, all the finger of blame is being pointed at D Forbes. And of course, D Forbes has so far declined to appear. She's citing in ill health. But the Public Accounts Committee do and may have, have powers to compel her to uh, appear when, when obviously they can't do it while she's unwell and while she's under uh, doctor's uh, certs. But 
I think we'll never finally get to the bottom of it. Well, I think we will get to, we're we're pretty much at the bottom of it, except for Dee Forbes to explain why she decided to do what she did and why she decided uh, to present the way the payments were made in the accounts, why this deception uh, took place. And I suppose what a lot of other people want to know there's a lot of people find it hard to believe that she could have been acting solo and that she was the only person that knew. I mean, up to now, everyone is saying nothing to do with us. Everybody pointing the finger of blame at uh, D Forbes and it was pretty much the same uh, yesterday as well. So it's only D Forbes, I suppose, can clear that part up to say, did she work? You know, was she on a solo run or was, was there someone else involved or others uh, involved? Michael has been on already this morning saying, listening to the explosive grilling uh, at the RTE operation, I've now come to the conclusion that reconstituting the board of executives will not be sufficient. Someone will have to be sent in to RTE with full powers to steer the whole operation while a criminal investigation is carried out on the whole operation as it is very seriously infected. Today's meeting will not be, or yesterday's meeting will not be an end to this debacle, but rather it'll only be the beginning of a very long painful road of deceit and criminality. And then Michael says at the end of his uh, WhatsApp he wants to congratulate our TDs for their tenacity which they have shown through throughout with their questioning. And Michael said I thought they were excellent. Yeah and I have to say you know everyone who appeared yesterday you know one TD one senator one after the, another all of them were well briefed, you know, they are well researched. You could see they all had their notes uh, with them. They knew the line of questioning. They knew what they were trying to get, trying to get at. And, and I think they did get a lot. We mightn't have heard what we wanted to hear uh, yesterday. And people, you know, might have wanted to find out exactly who was uh, responsible. But certainly we got a lot more information yesterday and the one for me that was jaw dropping was the clients being taken away on very expensive trips including being flown to Tokyo for the World Cup uh, final goodness and you know that kind of made me a little bit annoyed because I'm thinking we as independent radio station are competing for the same advertising pot as RTE are competing and there is you know there's no way that any of our sales directors can never be able to offer clients a trip to go to Tokyo to see the World Cup because we don't have slush funds like that and that to me very much annoyed me because it it should be a level playing pitch we should all be able to compete for the advertising part and advertisers should be able to look at you know where they feel they're going to get their best bang for their buck and they shouldn't be encouraged to spend more money with an organisation just because they're going to get some nice trips out of it so I have to say that part really really annoyed uh, me and uh, someone else by text saying Patricia I assume that the RTE's chief financial officer is out of a job too. Too, you can't tell me he didn't know what was going on. Well, he was before the. He says he didn't know what was going on. That it was only his attention was only drawn to it when he when the invoice was drawn up. But uh, he said he was unaware of uh, that it was an extra payment. He thought it was just part of Ryan Tuberty's uh, wage, and that's what he's saying. And that's the same. Uh, someone said, "Is that the same chief financial officer who didn't know how much he was earning?" That was one of the embarrassing moments I think yesterday when he was pushed as to how much does he get paid. 
paid and, and he basically said off the top of his head that uh, he didn't know how much he was earning. Now, in his defence, I suppose when you're on large sums of money like that, like 200,000 plus, maybe you don't know exactly how much you're earning. But as a chief financial officer, you assume it's an accountancy background he comes from. And I have friends of mine who are accountants and I would say nearly down to the last cent. They can tell you how much they are earning. 0818103103 on the RT scandal. Someone says, D Forbes should not be allowed to draw down her pension and her retirement shouldn't be sanctioned until she appears before the Dáil Committee. And I don't know legally whether they would be allowed to do that or not because her resignation has been uh, accepted. So I suppose the fact it has been accepted, they wouldn't be able uh, to do that. But that's, of course, another one of the bone of contentions. Why did the board, A, ask her to resign? And then why did they accept accept her, re- her resignation? I suppose one goes hand in hand with the other. But I think that is a mistake. If she hadn't resigned, she'd still be the Director General and maybe there will, would be more powers uh, to get her in before a Dáil Committee. But when Colin Burke joins us, because he is a member of probably one of the strongest the Public Accounts Committee, we'll find out, do they have the powers to compel her? Once she's well enough, nobody's asking her to come in uh, when she's unwell, but once she's well enough, let's tr- try and find out, do they have the powers to bring her uh, before the Oireachtas Committee? Because as I say, a lot of people just want to hear her her, in her own words, say exactly what happened. Was she on a solar run? Did she do this all on all in Rome? Did she discuss it with anyone else? And I think also what needs uh, to be addressed is the power that agents have, and in particular one agent. It all seems to be Noel Kelly. As I mentioned yesterday when I went onto the Noel Kelly uh, website, he does seem to be the agent for all of the top RTE uh, stars, be they the ones that we hear all of the time, you know, on the weekday programmes, but even the ones that you'd see. Um, if you go on to Noel Kelly, NK Management, you'll see the pictures of all of his uh, clients and certainly the, the bulk of the, the stars are the talent, even though I think we, they're, they're no longer going to refer to them as the talent, I think is another thing that came out of yesterday. But if you look, it looks like he, 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 it looks to me like Noel Kelly's agency is running RTE because definitely the bulk of the people People working there go through uh, Noel Kelly. Now, some would say, isn't that what Noel Kelly's job is? He's an agent. He's in there to get the best price that he can get for his clients. And I'm assuming he gets paid a cut on what he gets for his clients. I'm assuming that's the way it works. So he's basically making sure that he gets a nice wage packet out of it as well. But some are questioning now, has that man too much power? Uh, within RTE because as the, the chair of the RTE board said the day before, it does look like RTE are bidding against themselves because we don't have a raft of other media channels that other people can go to. Yes, they could go across the water and go to the UK if they want to break into that market, but that market isn't in direct competition with us here uh, in Ireland, certainly from an advertiser's point of view. So it does look like they've been bidding against themselves. 0818 uh, 103 103. And I can see a number of people saying D Forbes has got to come out of uh, hiding. Someone says, isn't it convenient that she's done well? Well, she has a doctor's search so nobody can question that. She needs to face up to this and not hide away. It would be the best thing for her if she came out and faced up to it. Okay, Bernie continues to take your calls at 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. A text in saying, Patricia, I'm wondering if you give a quick mention to a Biodiversity Heritage Day. It's been held in the Muintanatira Hall in Butterfield tomorrow, 1st of July, from 1 in the afternoon until 6. There'll be talks and exhibition, demonstrations, there'll be a country market, there'll be craft display and there'll be medieval living history group. Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun and much, much more. So the Winton Atira Hall in Butterfield tomorrow afternoon between one and uh, six. Good luck to everybody with that. And staying with biodiversity, don't forget our biodiversity feature runs every Friday at about 11.40. It's the it's our feature that we're calling Hours to Protect. And in this week's feature, Joanne Dukey-Patty, she's from the Good Day Cork. She will talk with us about an upcoming zine project that aims to discuss diverse stories from nature. And that's uh, coming to us uh, at about 11.40 today. Bernie's taking your calls at 0818 103. 103. Cork Today on C103. Now, according to a report by Cork County Council's Environment Division, just 2% of households across the county do not have a legitimate means of disposing of their household rubbish. So, could that 2% be responsible for the tonnes of illegal dumping that happens in our beautiful county every year. Independent Councillor Karen Coakley feels this needs to be looked into and uh, she joins me. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. And, Good morning to all the listeners. And, and you're welcome. Does the council need to go almost down the route of door to door and asking those households, what are you doing with your rubbish? Absolutely. It's just got to the stage I'm fed up wherever I go. There's rubbish everywhere. It's in our waters. It's on our beautiful countryside. And I think there's a very simple solution. I live on my own. I don't have a bin. I have no problem with somebody calling to the door. I mean, go into any housing estate and you can see very, you know, evidently who does and who doesn't have a bin. Yeah. So if somebody were to call to the door and say, I notice you don't have a bin, what do you do with your rubbish? I can produce receipts. I'm living in Skibreen. We have a great civic amenity centre. Four euro to get in, five euro per bag. I use that facility. So anyone that's using the facility will be happy to produce receipts. Now, sometimes you'll find people living on their own. They might not have a bin. It simply isn't worth it. And that's fine. People share bins. We realize that neighbors, families are sharing. But again, people can produce receipts. Yeah, and people can prove that they're doing that. Absolutely. But there's this this 2% who we know are not going down any legitimate route. Absolutely. And the question is, what are they doing with their rubbish? Now, if I look at Skibreen, where I'm living, tidy towns are out every evening. They're picking up rubbish. Why should anybody have to pick up after somebody else? It's almost a false economy because they're going out, they're picking up, and the system goes on and on. So these 2%, they have to be accountable. I almost think that we nearly need to go back to the old days where we had the television inspector, or you've got the dog license warden going around and checking. And again, the people that are obeying the law... They have no problem with this. It's just this minority that are destroying the countryside for everyone. And is it fair to say that a lot of the illegal dumping and in particular the fly tipping, it is household rubbish? It it is indeed. And now just to say our litter wardens, they're fantastic. I mean, I get numerous different calls. They go out, they inspect, they go through the bags, they try and find something that they can prosecute people. But it's an awful job for them. Mm. And again, why should anyone be expected to pick up after anybody else? 
Yeah, I mean, it, is is that a difficult task? Go, like, like the idea of going through somebody's black bag of uh, rubbish. Uh, they've got to go through it and try to find evidence if there's maybe a letter in there with an address on it. Is, is that what That's they're trying to do? That's exactly it. I mean, it's a horrendous task. But then again, people are kind of getting cute and sometimes they'll be very careful what they are disposing, even though they don't care where they're disposing of it. They'll try and make sure that there's no letters or that there's no way of tracing it back to them. The bin companies then, are they allowed to identify the customers that they have? Because obviously, No, that, that, they're not. Oh. They're not. Now, in the response from Cork County Council, they mentioned that in GDPR. We all know the implications of GDPR, and I'm not talking about GDPR. I'm simply talking about going to a house and saying, I notice you don't have your bin. Can you please tell me how are you disposing of your rubbish? It's, it's a very, very simple thing. And what I called for in my motion on Monday was that we could possibly pilot this, maybe start with one estate. And just to see, and if this was successful in our county, it could be rolled out countrywide because it is a problem everywhere. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, this isn't this isn't just a problem for, for Cork or for your own area of Skibbereen. Someone is, said, is saying, what about CCTV? Could they are the council installing CCTV in areas where you know dumping happens? I've asked about that at numerous meetings, and it's so frustrating because again, it goes back to GDPR. So I think that this really is the simple solution. Just start a pilot. I mean, it's not going to cost a lot of money. I feel at the moment we're a false economy. People are going out, they're dropping their rubbish. Our poor litter wardens have to go out. People have to pick up. It's costing the council more in the long run. Whereas this would almost be a win-win situation. You know, it's nippy it in the bud and it's making people accountable. I mean, you wonder what education people have if they think it's okay to dump rubbish. You've got tourism, you've flora, fauna, you've got all the implications on the environment and you wonder who can do this. And, and do the, somebody's asking, do the council have the powers to go knocking on doors? Uh, they don't. Well, they haven't in the past, but I mean, if you look at the TV licence or if you look at the, lit, or the dog warden, yeah, yeah. they have been doing it, so I can't see why they won't. What they decided on Monday at the meeting was that this will go to the Environmental Committee and it will be discussed further. Okay, do many people report dumping to the council, Karen? They do. A lot of people do. I get a lot of calls and again, I report to the litter warden and the litter warden will go out and they'll try and follow up on it. But most people are getting away with it. They can't prosecute people because they don't have the evidence. Yeah, it's it's frustrating, isn't it's it? It's beyond frustrating. And, and, and I think, you know, the fact that it is just a, a, a tiny, like they, they uh, the figures I read was, eight, they reckon 81% have a bin collection, curbside bin collection. That's correct, so it's the, the 81% of households are revealing of the curbside service. And then there's a number of people who do what you do, responsibly, you know, Absolutely. don't need a bin, but you get rid of it and, and you can prove wh- what you're doing with your rubbish. So it's this, this 2%, which is a tiny proportion causing all the damage and ruining it for everybody else. Absolutely. You know, we talk about leave no trace and we talk about, you know, enjoying and protecting the outdoors responsibly, you know, going out, taking your rubbish with you. You know, I just feel in this day and age, having to tell people that we have to protect our landscape, we need to preserve it for the future. And again, it goes back to this tiny 2%. And even though that's a small figure, the amount of damage they're doing is massive. Yeah, and we we spoke last week about the cleanup of the the beaches with the the clean coasts, Bandamona, and the, the six hundred yes, kids. Yes, and who I mean that's out. the problem. This rubbish is going everywhere. Yeah. It's not just on the countryside, on the roads. It's getting into the water. It's everywhere. Okay, but that led to some people saying, uh, "Could we have more bins at the beaches?" And I know that's probably something that, as a council, you get asked about all the time. We do well. indeed all the time. I mean, there is no doubt. Again, it's going back to the minority. 
there's a certain cohort of people that are taking advantage of the situation and rubbish is being dumped there. I mean, if I go out, I bring my rubbish home. It's very easy. We've got bags. You know, you've got a pocket. If it's a few things, put it in, whatever. You need to be responsible if you're going to the beach. And if there isn't a bin, you've just got to have a backup plan and you've got to bring it home with you and dispose of it properly. Yeah, Jenny says, well done to Councillor Karen Coakley for raising this issue. It always frustrates me. I know houses in our estate that don't have bins and I'm always wondering what they are up to. Uh, And someone else said that the council had to remove bins. I don't know what area this is, but someone said the council had to remove bins from our area a number of years ago because people were using the bins to dispose of their household rubbish because they didn't want to pay bin charges. Yeah, they're obviously part of that 2%. And again, it goes back to the charges. I mean, if you use an amenity centre, you know, recycling, it's easy enough to store. It's €4 to get in. It's €5 per bag. So for somebody living on their own, it might take them a month or two months to fill a bag. So it is not expensive. And, you know, it's the price of looking after our countryside, looking after environment. You know, how can you put a cost on that? And can I say the civic amenity staff and the, uh, the the centres and the staff that work there are the most fantastic bunch of people. They are so helpful. Absolutely. And you know what always gets me whenever I go into a civic amenity site? They're spotlessly clean. They are. No, they're <laughs> fantastic. And it's a wonderful service. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's no reason why people can't use them. And again, you know, if it comes to a bin, by all means, you know, pay a bin, split the cost with your neighbour, split it with a family. You know, it's easy to get rid of your rubbish in an environmentally friendly way. And you don't have to litter the countryside. And I do feel that for anybody that's doing it right, they have no problem if somebody were to call to their door and ask them, you know, produce their receipts, you know, prove that they're sharing with their neighbour, whatever it is. But it's this minority and we can't let them get away with it. There has to be consequences. Okay, and well done for calling out the Tidy Towns groups because where would we be without those volunteers? Oh my God, these people are the unsung heroes in our community. They're out day after day. You know, I sometimes feel they're fighting a losing battle because they're continually picking up rubbish after the same cohort that are dropping the rubbish all the time. And it really is a thankless job. And But yet we are so grateful they're doing so much for every community. OK, well done. Listen, have a nice weekend, Karen. You and thank too, you for Patricia. Joining thank us. you very uh, much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Skibbereen-based uh, councillor Karen uh, Coakley trying to track down the people who don't have bins. And what are they doing with their rubbish? 0818 with your comment 0818 103 103 Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103 Now as we mentioned at the top of the programme members of the RTE board and executive board appeared yesterday before the Public Accounts Committee to face questions about understating presenter Ryan Tuberty's salary Cork North Central Adult Deputy Colin Burke is a member of the PAC and I'm delighted to say he joins me live in studio this morning Good morning to you Colin Morning, and uh, thank you for, for, for joining us in uh, studio. Uh, day two, I suppose, uh, for the politicians trying to get some answers from uh, RTE. Firstly, were you, were you pleased to hear the board finally admit that the payments to Ryan Tuberty were paid in such a way as designed to deceive? They're finally saying this was done designed yeah. to deceive. Well, I think the whole issue about the account it was paid into, the extra money was paid into, you know, I gave the definition of a slush fund yesterday um, and it is a slush fund and I think it's interesting um, the definition which I uh, got from Black's Law Directory a slush fund is a reserve of money held secretly by a company that has no accountability for its use and that's exactly what this account was. There was no accountability even the chief financial officer 
appears to be turning a blind eye to it. And, you know, he gets in an invoice for €75,000 consultancy fees. And I've spoken to quite a number of accountants uh, on this matter, and every one of them said that if they saw such an invoice coming in, they'd want to know what the consultancy fees were for. Um, and likewise, there is, an, uh, there is also an obligation to report something like this to, to revenue. So €75,000 is not a small amount of money in an invoice. There was also this question about credit notes being written. So in other words, um, in this case, there was, a, uh, there was the 75000 paid to Ryan Troberty uh, by this account in the UK or to his agent by this account in the UK. And then there was a 75000 credit given to Renault. And, um, you know, it doesn't make sense that someone without going through the chief financial officer could write a credit note. So like any company operating like that, serious question marks have to be asked or uh, there are serious question marks over the whole operation. And you talk, you know, you could go back 25, 30 years ago where, you know, I think everyone would accept there was kind of two economies there. There was one which was through the books and there was another one which was uh, under the counter well, yeah, yeah. and that all got tidied up because revenue became extremely efficient I think people realised that if they want to get a service from the state then everyone must be compliant and I think you know even if you look at the amount of cases that revenue now take it's reduced drastically in real terms because they're far more uh, they, because of computerization, it's far easier for them to check and cross check here's a state organisation that continued with a practice, you know, that's gone out of date with the last 25, 30 years and seem to have got away with it. And there's now, I think, revenue will be going into RTN. And remember, revenue have already gone in there over the fact that there was a lot of people working there as subcontractors. The bogus and, employment. And yeah. were redeemed and, re- and uh, RT had to pay a mi- uh, money to revenue. 1.1 million. That's right, Sha. Yeah. So here, I think revenue will go in again. Um, <clears throat> and this issue about the 75,000 invoice. Uh, and I think it's interesting as well. Remember when someone goes in to do an audit in a company, especially a company the size of RTE, there's a huge volume of documentation that they have, they have to go through. And remember, they identified, the auditors identified this invoice. They raised concerns about it. And my question to the chief financial officer yesterday was, you know, surely if they could identify it, it's your normal run of the business during the week to watch what's going through <clears throat> for payment that you would have cross-checked this. Mm. And he couldn't give an answer. And when I asked, well, are there other invoices um, like this one through? His answer, no, there wasn't. But then I said to him, isn't that the very reason if there was no other invoice like this that you should have made further inquiries and got a full and detailed account for what it was for? And I think... And I think it leaves a very um, bitter taste in people's, uh, with people in the sense that here we are asking people to pay their license fee. If you don't, you're liable to prosecution. Here was a, a world that, you know, people within the organization was different to the rest of us uh, and not accountable and no accountability to the chief financial officer, uh, no accountability to the revenue commissioners, no accountability to the board of management. And when I used that that term yesterday of slush fund, I was really taken aback that my authority who had, who had served as chairperson wasn't aware of it and actually, you know, clearly confirmed that she agreed with my definition. 
And remember, she comes from, you know, a business background. You know, she was involved in Riverdance, would have turned over, you know, a lot of money, um, would have travelled the world. So would, would have set up Century Radio at the time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so would have a lot of experience. Yeah, and to yeah. think she, that and she you was... You could see by her face yesterday, she really did not... Well, I was sitting right behind her, so yeah, I wasn't... I, I watched it on the camera. You could see she was aghast. She was going, I know nothing. I knew nothing yeah. about this. And, and like she was on the board for quite a long period of yeah. time. So... Like, I just worry about uh, something like this happening and no accountability. And this is, if it was a private company, everyone would say, well, you know, these things happen and private companies shouldn't happen. Uh, Revenue would be in on top of them uh, like a ton of bricks. This is a state organisation answerable to the taxpayers, accountable to the taxpayers. And I suppose our job... tens of millions of taxpayers' money every yeah. year. Plus the fact that the state gives it support um, and it, then it has, I suppose it has a monopoly in some aspects of advertising as well, which the private sector doesn't have because it's able to give terms and conditions that no one in the private sector could could offer. Yeah, and I can offer somebody a trip to the World Cup. I certainly couldn't be offering anyone a trip to Tokyo. John in Limerick says, could you please ask Colm? John is a former internal auditor within the public uh, service. He said any chairman coming into a company when he meets the chief executive, the chairman will ask how many accounts they have, what banks they use, who is using them. The auditors would ask the same question. The only thing he can compare it to is the Sean Quinn debacle. He can't believe that this went on. Absolutely. And, you know, every accountant that I've talked to, uh, like, it's just, I think they're gobsmacked that this amount of money, now, it'll be interesting to see what does this account show. They're saying it's above 1.25 million. It'll be interesting to see all the information over the last 10 years uh, and to see who else benefited from it. Um, But I also think it goes back to the agent advising uh, Ryan Choberty in a sense of advising someone to do business in this way. And it's like you coming in to me um, and you're saying you want to pay uh, 75000 to someone. And I say, fine, I'll lodge it into my client account in my legal office and I'll pay out the cheque. But for me to do this, I'm going to charge you a fee of 75000 I'm going to charge you a fee of €40,380. I'm sure you would say, sorry, yeah. I'm going off to some yeah, other I'll office. Do, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself, right? And that made no sense. That, it made no sense. really and, made no sense. And like, this is the the reason why, you know, I suppose the role of us as uh, on the public accounts committee, and there's only a small number of Rockters members on it, We our job is, you know, the state spends huge money every year. We collect money from the taxpayers. Our job is to make sure that every state organisation, that there is full accountability. And that's the role we're now playing in restorative. Yeah. Um, Somebody is asking about fraud and is there fraud? Now, I, I know yesterday the my, uh, Richard Collins, the, the CFO, he said when they looked at it, there was no fraud in, involved. But he, he says, in his opinion, the taxpayers were, were defrauded. Well, the taxpayers were defrauded because of the fact that there was <laughs> there was money coming in which wasn't declared and there was money going out which wasn't declared. I also would raise the question, though, does that mean so that if I um, go and provide a legal service, um, am I entitled to put in a different description for that? Um, uh, and I suppose the, uh, an example of that could be, say, for argument's sake, <coughs> I get an engineer to give me advice in relation to my own house 
and someone owes me 20,000 in fees mm. and I say, well, I want the engineer 10,000. I want you to pay 10,000 into my legal office and I want you to pay the other 10,000 to the engineer. You I wouldn't mean, be allowed to do that. You wouldn't be allowed to do that. Yeah. And if it is, if you did do it, then you're committing a fraud because you're not declaring something. And I, I really think that, um, you know, when everyone else is compliant, then it's more... Uh, remember, the RT are providing, you know, very good, uh, you know, media coverage have done a lot of very good investigations and hear themselves not complying with the rules that everyone else in the media outlets are, are and everyone else in 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 the out there in in the um, business community are, are expected to comply with. What do you feel for the ordinary workers? Yeah, I think the big problem that I have now for RTE, and it's a big worry that I have, first of all, there's the whole issue of the lack of trust by the general public and the difficulty we'll have about licence fees. And I really think that, you know, I think RTE is an important uh, public service broadcaster. It's important that it does um, that it does um, resolve the issues. I think the commercial sector is certainly going to be looking at this as well. Are they getting value for money in the amount of money they're paying in for advertising? And what is the the effect now? Or how, um, how influential is RT going to be from now on? Therefore, will we have a slowdown in commercial uh, activity within RT? And the wor- the worry that I have for the ordinary workers then is that is that the people at the lower end yeah. will end up getting the we'll uh, lose lose will, jobs will lose jobs yeah, and yeah. I think that's one of the concerns that I have now uh, and you know you're talking about people who had been there working all their lives and suddenly find that they may be the people that redundancies are being offered to. Yeah, which would which be dreadful. And, uh, and another listener, uh, Jenny, is asking about the ridiculous pay that is paid to the top talent. Will that be looked at? I think it will be now. I think as well, you know, Ireland is different to, uh, say, the UK, where you have a huge number of commercial organisations in the media outlets. And in fairness to all of the media outlets here in Ireland, um, they are, you know, they're making profit, but it's not huge money. And <coughs> the the amount that they're able to pay to presenters is a way under the scale that RTE is paying. Um, and therefore, if some person leaves RT thinking that some commercial out, uh, outlet can give them a higher salary, I'd no. say there's very few. Not that, a chance, I yeah. call them. I can and back that it. one up. Yeah. Uh, and and just finally, we, we know we've got the new, the incoming director general, uh, Kevin Backhurst. He is promising a reconstitution of the RTE executive uh, board. What do you believe he'll do? I don't know. I think there's a lot of work still to be done before we get all the answers to this. The question is, you know, I don't accept, for instance, you take the tripartite agreement between RT, Reynolds and the the agent for um, Ryan Tuberty. I mean, there was quite a number of people involved in that. You know, I think there is a... an effort to blame the director general but in fact if you look at the report from Grant Thornton there is a report there where she was not involved in the drafting of those agreements there was in-house legal people there was that was the original one in 2020 yeah yeah yeah. so she was not involved there so there were other people aware of this agreement and they were aware that it was about the payment of an additional 75,000 to him Mm. so 
the, the, the blame it all and it's the an easy option though isn't it's it? an easy option yeah. and I also would seriously question about asking someone to resign without all the investigation being fully uh, you know completed I think the if I was asked for a legal advice and as I said well I would have to say well we want you to step aside until such time as there's a full investigation and remember she had only a number of weeks to go anyway mm. the question now is that have RT left themselves exposed to litigation now? Yeah. And I think they may very well have. Yeah. OK, you know? this, there's a lot more to go on this one for sure. But listen, as somebody said um, earlier, if I can find the um, text in to say that somebody wanted to congratulate the TDs for their tenacity, which was shown uh, throughout their questioning yesterday. Uh, Michael and Castellan Bear said, I thought they were all excellent. So take a bow. Listen, uh, Colm, thank you for that. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Lots of thoughts and comments uh, coming into us. Patton from Oise says, since the whole RTE debacle hit the headlines, and would you believe it's only a week ago, it's only yesterday week that we heard about this. It seems like it's been an eternity. Anyway, Pat says, in that week, everything else seems to have been sorted out. Nobody's talking about the cost of living. Nobody's talking about the plight of refugees. Nobody's talking about the housing crisis. All the focus seems to be on RTE at, at the moment. Kerry Listener says the chief financial officer yesterday didn't know off the top of his head what his salary was when asked. He had to be pressed for him to admit how much he earns. This gets better by the day. I really feel sorry for the great ordinary people in RTE, says a Kerry listener. Yeah, and I think the ordinary workers in RTE when the details would have come out about the slush fund and the amount of money that was spent out of that slush fund and like bringing clients to Tokyo to the World Cup final just seems absolutely bizarre. And the commercial director and and another member of staff uh, travelling over with the clients just, you know, and you've got workers in RTE who are on very, very low wages. And I mean, to even hear Robert Short, who's the representative of the workers, on not the executive board on the, the what used to be the RTE authority. I don't know why they ever changed the name of the RTE authority to the RTE board, because you've got the RTE board and then you've got the executive board and it causes utter and complete uh, confusion. But Robert Short is the representative on what was the RTE authority. And and I thought his point yesterday when he was asked about, you know, slush funds and how did workers feel about that and were work- workers aware of it? And, you know, he basically said, look, he knew that th- that there was corporate events that happened that the ordinary workers didn't get to. But he said, you know, the only thing that there's a joke within RTE that the only perk that the workers get is a weekly copy of the RTE guide but when the Christmas one the bumper one comes out that's never available to them I just couldn't I mean it caused a little bit of it was about the only lighter moment I think and then when you thought about it you thought how sad uh, is that 0818 Maria says Hi Patricia C103 could also be considered a public sector broadcaster, as indeed could all of the other independent radio stations all over the country. Maybe an open conversation needs to be had now regarding how the state distributes taxpayers' money under the guise of public sector broadcasting. If other stations can stand on their own feet and battle with commercial issues and contact contracts, why can't RTE also stand on their own two feet? It's not a level playing for 
playing field or a fair platform for other stations trying to compete with the likes of RTE while they're being subsidised by the taxpayer. This is an opportunity to end this monopoly. Kind regards, and that's from Maria. And I think they were topped up. Was it? Was it? Did I read somewhere it was two hundred million euro RTE received uh, last year? It was an incredible uh, sum of uh, money. And Michael says uh, Patricia Colin Burke, who joined us in studio before eleven, is a hundred percent correct, and he was outstanding yesterday in his contribution at the PAC with solid facts, uh, nothing of hearsay. It's very dangerous throwing D Forbes under the bus and backing over her as well. But just wait until she comes back before the committee. They sacked her, this is Michael Fields, they sacked her in order to keep her out of RTE so that she wouldn't have any details available to her and couldn't then go on and tell the minister. They thought that they were gods, says uh, Michael. I do hope T Forbes comes forward and, and tells her own story. But look, we've got, we have to wait for her to recover because she's out sick at the moment. So let's let's wish her well uh, on her journey to uh, recovery. But I do hope that she does come out and shares her side of the story warts uh, and all because I think a lot of people yesterday as well felt like that felt like what Michael was saying and felt like she was very much thrown under the bus and it is the easy and kind of the oldest way of doing things isn't it to get out of somebody blame you know it's, it's, it's a kind of a well known thing in business when somebody comes in and something goes wrong you blame the predecessor because they are gone so they can be blamed for everything once they're out the door but it certainly is wrong 0818103103 can anybody offer any advice to Linda in Formoy who's contacted us She's living in a council house in the Formoy area. Her ceiling collapsed in the kitchen on Wednesday. There was some kind of uh, a leak. Um, there was a leak inside in the bathroom, water leaking all over the bathroom. Now, she's been living in this house for the last 17 years. She ended up having to call the fire brigade on Wednesday as the alarm was going off and, and she couldn't stop it. Anyway, she got onto the council because obviously it is a council house. They sent out a plumber and an electrician, but she said she needs for the whole house to be refurbished completely. And she sent on photographs to us and uh, we've also told her to send photographs onto the Avenue uh, newspaper so that people locally can get to see. Obviously, in a radio station, I can't you can't get to see the photographs that Linda has sent on uh, to us but she's looking for advice because she reckons she's getting nowhere with uh, the council because I mean anyone who's ever had any kind of a flood event in the house and be it something like that a leak it's it's damp and it's it's awful it just you need to get in there with the working get the work done as quickly as possible but she feels other than you know a plumber coming out and obviously stopping the leak and an electrician coming out just to make sure to check that all the wiring is okay but she said it really is a total refurbishment she needs now because of the damage that's been done I mean she certainly needs the ceiling um, now she's been told that she's on some kind of a list and she's going to have to wait and I know back in the good old days the council would have had all of their own workers available to go out and do those jobs but they're all contracted out uh, now so we're just throwing it out there to see if anybody else can offer uh, Linda any advice. I would straight away say, you know, go, have you have you contacted one of your local councillors uh, in your area? Do you know which, which councillor from where lives closest to you? You might have a relationship with the councillors usually are quite good as well. But has anybody else been able to speed up work that needed to be done by the council? Or does, or does Linda just have to stay on that list that the councillor is saying and wait her turn? 0818103103. And someone else is on about hedges overgrown. And says, hi, Patricia, it is pure madness and surely a lack of common sense that fences all over our country roads are not allowed to be cut by farmers or landowners. 
poor view for motorists is deadly for walkers and it's deadly for cyclists. Something needs to be done about it. And of course, what we have at the moment is under the Wildlife Act. It is against the law to cut, burn or otherwise destroy vegetation, which includes all of our hedgerows. We're right in the middle of that season. It runs from the 1st of March through to the 31st of August. So we've another two months to go on it. But there are exceptions. Hedge cutting is allowed during that closed period uh, in case of road safety concerns. So I would say to that listener, if there's a particular stretch of road you're talking about, or there's a junction where you're getting poor view for, for motorists, then I would suggest contacting either if you know the local farmer, the landowner, and draw their attention to it, or get onto the local council and point out the particular junction that you're talking about that you can't see. Do you know if you're coming up on um, um, maybe a, a T junction or a crossroads and you can't actually see what's coming against you? because of the overgrowth of hedgerows, because certainly under that Wildlife Act, for road safety concerns, hedges can be cut back. 0818 And then a number of people reacting to uh, Councillor Karen Coakley out of Skibbereen, who joined us earlier on in the programme, and she was talking about an issue that she has raised at council level. And this is to do with, they believe there's only about 2% of people here in Cork who do not have a bin collection. Now, 81% of people have a curbside collection where you put out your bin every second week and the dustman comes and collects it and you pay for it and all of that. Uh, and then there is, is about, they reckon, 17% of people who, like Karen herself, lives on her own, doesn't generate a lot of uh, rubbish. And they do all of the disposing and the recycling of the rubbish themselves by going to the civic community site and you can bring in your bag of rubbish, uh, etc. But they reckon it's about 2% of people then who don't go to any lengths to dispose of their rubbish. And they're the ones that they feel are responsible for all of that fly tipping. We regularly will get for photographs in here of somebody driving on a nice scenic route and lo and behold there'll be a black bag of household rubbish that somebody has tossed out or pulled up in the car taken out of the boot and of course if the council don't move in or if a local tidy towns group don't move in quickly and remove that rubbish then the wildlife will get at it and you'll have the crows uh, picking at it and vermin at it and it will be strewn all over the road and it causes massive uh, problems. So Karen is saying the council need to do something to track down those 2% of people and she's saying you know, go door to door, start knocking on doors and ask people what, you know, where are you going? What are you doing with your rubbish? You don't have a bin collection. Prove to me that you are disposing of your, of your rubbish because she said if somebody called to her in the morning because she doesn't have a bin outside her door, she would be able to show the receipts to say, look, last week I was at Civic Community site and I was there two weeks before that and she'd be clearly able to show what she's doing with her rubbish. Well, that prompts just Theresa Kilmanick to contact us to say she doesn't have a curbside uh, collection and a little bit like Karen she tries to recycle everything and I'm assuming she goes to a civic community site with anything then that she can't uh, recycle or can't use in a composting bin uh, etc. She said a few years ago a certain bin collection company knocked on her door and accused her of dumping because they noticed she didn't have a regular bin uh, collection. The person at the door, she felt, was quite threatening and started saying that the recycling site would be discontinued and they were going to be putting up secret cameras to catch people who uh, was uh, dumping. She found the whole thing a bit intimidating and she says, how did he know that I didn't have a contract with another bin company? I'm assuming they're driving past your door and they spot that there isn't a uh, bin uh, out, but it does sound a bit threatening and intimidating. The only thing 
thing I would say if if someone came to my door and was accusing me of that and saying, oh, we're putting secret cameras up, let them put secret cam- cameras up. If you're not dumping, you're in no risk of being caught on the secret camera. I'm all in favour for secret cameras. And I know people go on about GDPR and all that. If you've nothing to hide, you shouldn't be in any worried about any cameras uh, going up. But, but it was certainly wrong of that particular bin company, uh, Teresa, for sure, to call to your door and accuse you of doing something that absolutely you don't uh, do. Hi, Patricia. Everyone should have a bin, including people on their own. The pay-by-weight doesn't work. As a small bin put out once a month will cost almost the same price as a large bin put out every two weeks. There's no point going door to door because everyone will come up with some kind of an excuse. Hi Patricia, in my local town I regularly see people ramming their household rubbish into the public bins that are on the street. I've even seen people putting domestic rubbish into the glass bins for recycling. These are the people who are responsible for the lack of bins in public areas. They are the ones to blame. Yeah, and they're exactly the people that Karen Coakley wants to uh, go after. Hi, Patricia. I pay for my rubbish collection and my recycling. It's collected every fortnight. My neighbour, by the way, doesn't. Guess what? My neighbour burns their rubbish. That is disgusting and that's a really dangerous thing to do as well. Someone said, is Karen asking for neighbours to ask their other neighbours knock on doors to ask for receipts as the council already have this power. No, she's not asking. She's, she's not suggesting that you go out and ask people if they don't have bins, what are you doing with your rubbish? She's saying the council uh, could actually do that. And hi, uh, Patricia, in France, there are two or three huge bins in every estate and on every corner of nearly every street that anyone can put their rubbish into. And guess what? This keeps the streets clean. It's paid through your local taxes and it works extremely well. There are some people here who just will never pay to have their bins collected, will never pay for their rubbish and they are the ones you're never going to catch them out. Uh, And when we were talking about the Tidy Towns people going out and cleaning up, of course, one of the big issues that all of the Tidy Towns groups and we had it with Eyeball, the Irish Business Against Litter, uh, cigarette butts, It's a a huge issue and it's a huge issue nationwide. Sheila reckons that the vapes are now, the disposable vapes are now going, are getting worse than the cigarette butts and we're starting to see a lot more of them. That's from Sheila. Thanks, Sheila. Uh, Texting 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. General operative ground worker with full driving licence and safe pass is wanted for a full-time position that's in the North Cork area. 087. 24006653. Full time general operatives are wanted in Mill Street. Previous experience is not essential as training will be given. 029 70677. Customer support agents are wanted for Arma Connect in Blackpool. CVs to the human resources at armaconnect.com. And Convira in Fernandes looking for a part time nurse. Catherine, you contacted 087 6364125. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at c103.ie. 
Cork Today on C103. Now, it's always sad uh, to hear of a rural bar going up for sale. So we've got fingers and toes crossed that a new owner will quickly be found so that the Bayview Inn B&B and Restaurant in Kilcrohan in West Cork will continue to be as popular a venue as ever. To discuss why she's made the decision to sell up, I'm joined by the well-known singing landlady, and that is Mary Daly. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning. Uh, it's great to have you on the programme. Um, I take it this wasn't an easy decision, was it, um, to, to, to sell up? Why, why do you feel the time is right now? Well, it's uh, the fact that um, I haven't been that well. I had a, an accident and um, I haven't been right since. Uh, I think it's come back to haunt me. So I decided now was the time to to give up. <laughs> and how, how long have you been in the Bayview Inn? Uh, 20 years. And have you, have, you seen, have you seen the business change over that 20 years? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's got busier, I'd say, you know. I think it's busier than it was before. Um, different people, people have changed a lot, I think. And it, it, that's it, what I think. Yeah, it, but it, it's it's an it's a unique business in that it's there's the pub, the Bayview Inn, but you also have a B and B and a restaurant. That's right. All all with the pub. The, the bar is downstairs. The B and B is upstairs. The restaurant is downstairs, and um, it's a very big building. Very big. And I used you know it's uh, I can sleep eighteen upstairs. Yeah. Are you selling it as one lot or is it being sold to the bar separately? Oh, yeah. The, yeah, or is it one lot? Oh, no, no, no. It's all, yeah. It's just one big building. And when you, you know? came in, when you came into that 20 years ago, was that the way it was? Did you take it over as a business? No, no. I am. Um, when we took it, we built an extension on the back. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. To facilitate you know, the B&B, so, was it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But it wasn't as big as it was. And you know, so... 
how does a young lass from Glasgow who still very much has her Glasgow accent, can I say, how does a young lass from Glasgow end up in Kilcrohan in West Cork? Well, um, I married a man from here. And wh- where did you meet? Wh- where did you meet? Met in London. In the Galaxy Moor. The famous Galtimore. Okay, I, I, I really, I don't, I, I think the sound on this is just atrocious. Mary, I'm yeah. going, I tell you I what. I can hardly hear you. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I tell you I what. Can I bring you back in 10 minutes because my signal's about to go? Oh, is it? Okay, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it. We'll actually, <laughs> yeah, I was going to get Bernie to ring you back on a normal phone line. Maybe that, that, that might make it a bit better. Yeah, yeah okay, no, I'll get. If you want to leave it for another day, because as I said, We've got rain and it's rain and wind oh. and gale and everything and I can hardly hear you. Isn't that All a right? sign of the time in West Cork? We'll talk next week, yeah. Mary. Okay, God okay, bless. All you. right. <laughs> I I one stage thought that she was doing the washing up. It sounded like she was. But isn't that just one of the of the disadvantages of living in a beautiful West uh, Cork area? Beautiful area to live in. But when the signal decides to play up, the signal decides to play up. So we'll get her. Uh, we'll, we'll put it aside. And as I say, we'll get it on another day when the weather is a little bit better. 0818 103 103. I'm, I'm just seeing um, a piece of advice coming in for Linda. Remember I mentioned Linda who contacted us this morning because her ceiling collapsed in the kitchen on Wednesday. She's in a council house and it was a leak from the bathroom. So I'm assuming that the bathroom is over the kitchen and houses ended up being flooded. Now, in fairness to the council, they did get a plumber and electrician uh, out, but she's been left with like the ceiling is down. I, I, the, the leak has been fixed. I, I assume everything is working in the bathroom, but it's it's ground is floor is soaking and all of that and she just said it, she needs a complete refurb and uh, she's waiting with the council telling her that she has to she's gone on a list uh, somebody has made an interesting point and we'll get we'll, we'll find out from uh, Linda uh, and hopefully she's listening and this might be a suggestion uh, Maria is saying House insurance. The insurance on the house will well cover that. What happens is you ring your your house insurance people. They'll send out an assessor. Maria says assessors are pretty prompt in sorting out these uh, problems. And actually, says Maria, with some insurance policies, temporary accommodation is covered while the work has been done. Hope Linda gets uh, sorted out. Anything but water damage, said Maria. Oh, and I uh, 100% agree. I remember many years ago in our family home, I wasn't living there at the time, there was a, a major leak. And actually, I should have thought of that, Maria. They, they, they were very, very quick. The assessor was out the next day. We got the plumber in, water switched off and all that but the assessor was out the next day and work happens very quickly I don't know if Linda's house insurance I know somebody's going to come up and say you're, you're assuming Linda has house insurance uh, she mightn't I don't know but it is a possibility if Linda is listening to us and she does have house insurance that it might be a possibility for her to look down that route and get the work done uh, via the her house insurance 0818 103 103 uh, somebody is saying dumbfounded they couldn't get over their electricity bill it is dumbfounded they checked what their electricity bill was for last year. My last year's bill was €180 Euro for the two months uh, up to the 
beginning of June. My bill for this month has come in at 360. It is exactly double. That is crazy. How are, when are we ever going to see our electricity bills uh, falling? And you're not on your own. I mean, everybody is saying pretty much the same thing. But I did read actually this morning before I came on air that the energy regulator has insisted that there is still value to be found by customers who switch their electricity and gas supplier. And it seems there can be up to €900 of a difference between the cheapest company and the dearest company. And that's despite a lot of suppliers have significantly cost the discount that they're now giving to people uh, switching. And that was in response to last year's surge in the wholesale energy prices. At one stage, anyone who switched was getting great deals and great offers. But then obviously the wholesale energy prices went up and all of the utility companies were very much in the same boat. So for many people, it really wasn't worth your while uh, switching. But it seems it's turning around a bit. For example, the this is coming from the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities, the CRU. Electric Ireland, their cheapest standard domestic electricity tariff available at the moment, that this would be on a standard domestic electricity plan, would be just over 2000 2000 and €23 a year. But compare that to the other end of the scale. The most expensive for the very same package would be with Flowgas. And their standard electricity for the year would cost you €2,886. So that's nearly €900 more. SSE Airtricity, they were the cheapest standard for domestic gas tariffs. They came in at 1,838 for existing customers. That's SSE electricity for gas, while flow gas were the most expensive on the standard plan, 2,699. Electric Ireland had the cheapest dual fuel. That's for people who get gas and electricity. That's coming in at just under 4,000 euro. And flow gas again had the most expensive uh, for dual fuel fuel uh, for gas and electricity, 5,585 euro for the year. However, flow gas do have the cheapest smart time of use uh, tariff on their smart rate electricity. There's so many different plans. So the Commission for the Regulation of Utility, they are requiring suppliers to provide an estimate of the annual electricity and gas bill for the average household. So that's how they've come up with these figures. And it does include all of the marketing and all of the advertisements that promote uh, specific energy office or if there's any reference to price or tariffs or discounts or savings or costs. But it doesn't include non-energy items such as loyalty points. And the director of the Commission for Regulation of Utility, Karen uh, Trant, said, we are aware of the difficult challenges that customers are facing in the extent of high energy prices. She says switching suppliers are renegotiating with your current suppliers can still deliver savings. And it's important that customers ensure that they're on the most suitable tariff for for their their needs. So it means that when your contract is up, just don't automatically roll over because by automatically rolling over, you could end up on the highest tariff that's available from your existing custom, from your existing utility. So you either switch or what I did last year because there wasn't much point in switching because there was no real offers for switching. But I got back on to my provider and said, OK, my contract is up. What, you, what can you offer me? And I got a discount by simply making 
uh, that call. Um, and actually, but I, that's the first time attention has been drawn to the gap between the most expensive utility company and the cheapest, cheaper utility company. We might get on to one of the, the groups next week, bankers.ie or switcher.ie, one of those organisations who are fantastic for keeping people updated on what they need to do on switching. And uh, we might dig a little bit deeper into that. But you're not on your own to that listener who is just shocked by the, by the size of their electricity bill. Everybody is really feeling it at the moment. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul, taking your calls. You can it's not John Paul, it's Bernie, sorry, he's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. Ours to protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman. With the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. Today on Ours to Protect, we're talking to Joanna Dukipati, founder of Good Day Cork, about her project, Diverse Stories from Nature. We're going to talk about how our natural world can bring together people from all different backgrounds to find common ground and why that is important. So what it was for me anyway, from a Good Day Cork's perspective, is about bringing people from different cultures together to talk about everyday things. And so I was walking the Mardike Trail just here in the city centre in Cork and I thought, wouldn't it be great to take people through this walk and talk about their memories? Does this space, does this trail take them somewhere else where they grew up? Because it did for me. And in that, there are stories about our culture, about where we grew up and how we've made Cork home. So there was potential there to have an intergenerational conversation. Carried out during National Biodiversity Week, the aim of the walk was to connect people to the places they came from, using nature as a tool to get them there. Joe with more. We were a group of 15 people or so. And I think in the group, they were about... I want to say five to six different languages that were being uh, spoken. And these are. We were talking about dumping and uh, in particular talking about what Karen Coakley was suggesting households who don't have a regular bin collection. There are some people who are very good at recycling and all of that, but we know there are other people who really just don't give a damn and they will take their domestic rubbish and they'll dump it anywhere where they think they're not going to be seen. Well, a listener has contacted us who lives in one of the bigger housing estates in Mallowtown. She said she's witnessed on one, one particular family walk walk out of their house on more than one occasion they will fire large black bags of household rubbish over the back wall into an empty apartment. She said this happens in broad daylight. They don't even try to hide what they are doing. They do have bins outside the house but from what this listener reckons is happening is they just store the black bags of rubbish in the bin and then when the black bag is full, they then dump it. So they have a bin, but they obviously don't have a contract with a bin company to collect the bin. So they use it to store the rubbish because they don't want their house stinking out with rubbish. Of course they don't. So they keep it in the bin. And then when the black bag is full, tie it up and toss it in over the wall. Now, listener says it has been reported to the council. And actually the council workers did come out. And guess what? They removed 18 bags of rubbish from the garden. 
of that empty apartment. But it just keeps happening. Isn't that crazy? And yet, obviously, people in that estate have seen what's going on. They've told the council. They're saying who's doing it. And um, for some reason, all the council are doing is, is cleaning it up. And if they continue to clean it up, guess what, guys and gals? Those people will just keep on dumping that rubbish uh, over the wall into the empty apartment, which is shameful. 0862 103 103. to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info today on ours to protect we're talking to Joanna Dukipati founder of Good Day Cork about her project diverse stories from nature we're going to talk about how our natural world can bring together people from all different backgrounds to find common ground and why that is important So what it was, for me anyway, from a Good Day Cork's perspective, is about bringing people from different cultures together to talk about everyday things. And so I was walking the Mardike Trail, just here in the city centre in Cork, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to take people through this walk and talk about their memories, does this space, does this trail take them somewhere else where they grew up because it did for me and in that there are stories about our culture about where we grew up and how we've made Cork home so there was potential there to have an intergenerational conversation. Carried out during National Biodiversity Week the aim of the walk was to connect people to the places they came from using nature as a tool to get them there. Joe with more. We were a group of 15 people or so. And I think in the group, they were about, I want to say, five to six different languages that were being uh, spoken. And these are all people who've made Cork their home and lived here for quite, quite a while. At the start of the walk, I said, it's an invitation for you to reflect about what you're seeing, to observe what you're seeing and where does it take you. And it's very, that, that's extremely important from a climate change perspective as well, which is where the facilitators from the Cork Environmental Forum come in. And also to link two different cultures. You know, for example, if I've, I have grown up in India and I would see something and it would remind me of how a natural path would be if I was walking somewhere in Bombay, which is again very diverse. And then to be able to bring that stories onto a platform and have an exchange is really powerful. And it also then reflects on Cork as being a a city that's changing. There's more and more people speaking different languages living in the city. And it's important to acknowledge them. And only then we can appreciate them. And so through this event, having people speaking to the, you know, with their friend or family member in their own language and then contribute in the group in, in the lingua franca being English and to talk about nature, it's ha- happening all at once. The hope for the project is to compile an artifact that will capture this unique multicultural celebration of biodiversity that will hopefully be available to the public in autumn 2023.
Our plan is to have this artifact ready to be launched in the autumn, along with, of course, uh, our collaborators, Cork Environmental Forum. There are drawings in it, there are illustrations in it, there are loads of words in it, and it's multilingual with translations. So it's beautiful. And so now we're going to make what we know we would call an artifact. And it also helps um, environmentalists to reimagine how to talk about climate change and climate action and how we can incorporate everyone who lives in the city. So no ethnic minority groups are isolated in this conversation. Why are projects like this important when we talk about the environment and talk about diverse communities in Cork? That's a great question. Because the environment affects us all. And people from different ethnic communities come with their own experience uh, with nature, with their own environment. And, you know, the more, more conversations we have with people with different knowledge bases, different lived experience, the greater it is for us to find solutions with the problems we're experiencing. Some of the solutions can be culture-based, and we won't know that till we speak to other people. And we don't need to have large seminars and summits and conferences and spend money on that. I'd rather have grassroots conversations at the, uh, at the end of a street around the block and use the money that's being funneled through summits instead of putting it there, put it into community groups. The theme of today's episode was multiculturalism as an aid to biodiversity. You can find out more about the work Good Day Cork do by visiting their website at www.gooddaycork.com. For more tips and tricks on how to bring your community together to have cultural conversations around the environment, check out the show notes of this episode. to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info and thanks to Alana Daly and Mulligan for another very very interesting feature on our ours to protect uh, series just hearing from our traffic crew that there has been a reports of a collision westbound it's on the N40 South Ring Road near Mahan and the advice is to please take care on approach can I stay with weather uh, for just a moment because the weather forecast is we've got another one of those sort of mild muggy days today a lot of people don't like and there's kind of squally old showers as well uh, as long as it stays dry I suppose we'll put up with the uh, humidity but Met Aaron are saying that we in Ireland now can expect more frequent and extreme weather events and uh, some of those extreme weather events will include higher temperatures and thunderstorms and they're pointing straight down the sciences there this is all down to climate change and they're issuing the warning today as their provisional data for June we're on the last day of June so they have the provisional data and they say June of 2023 will be the hottest June on record and it's actually breaking an 83 year old temperature record now the World Meteorological Organisation they recently warned that we here in Europe that Europe is war- warming twice as fast as any as any other continent, and obviously we here in Ireland are feeling the effect of that. Now, according to Met Aaron, average temperatures for June exceeded 16 degrees, and that's for the first time it broke the previous June record, which was set in 1840 by more than half a degree. Highest temperature recorded so far this year was in June, and it was in Carlo 28.8 
8 uh, degrees. And 2023, and this is where the science is saying it is climate change, it's the third year in a row that a temperature at or above this value has been observed here in uh, Ireland. And a climatologist with Met Aaron by the name of Paul Moore he said, although temperatures, obviously they've fallen the last uh, couple, of, a couple of days, but he said it's not in any way going to prevent June's record-breaking uh, situation. He said this year's particularly warm June is part of an observed warming trend and research is showing that this trend is going to continue. An average monthly temperature of more than 16 degrees has been seen in July and August in previous years, but it's never happened in June before. So that's why June 23 will go down as a record year with uh, above average daytime temperatures and we also had very warm and uh, sticky nights. Uh, 23 of the 25 Met Aaron primary weather stations are showing their warmest June on uh, record and Met Aaron say that the climate change makes record breaking temperatures like those more likely and we also had a recent marine heat wave off the coast of Ireland that brought extreme sea surface temperatures to uh, Irish shores and Met Aaron say that warmer waters in turn they provide more energy for storms and that ends up contributing to extreme weatherfall events which is the one thing we don't want and according to the World Meteorological organisation 16,000 people died as a result of extreme heat last last year. Now that was everything from widespread droughts uh, which caused a significant economic impacts. and with the rate of June heat waves um, the rate of June heat, heat waves have tripled in Spain in the past uh, 12 years and I know even into May uh, Spain were hitting record uh, temperatures that they don't normally get in May but it is the past 12 years they've been getting very unusual heat waves in June that normally doesn't uh, happen and uh, June also the warmest on record for our neighbours in the United uh, Kingdom so certainly evidence of climate change whether you want to believe it or not the evidence is there from the meteorological office 0818103103 and thank you to Rita in Tower who contacted us to say would we ever give a shout out and say congratulations to her cousin her cousin is an artist by the name of Stephen Murphy and Stephen lives in Ovens and he has just won the RCSI award for his sculpture of his newborn baby son who was born premature. Now his baby boy was born over a year ago. The little the little boy thriving and doing well is now 14 months uh, old but he did this uh, sculpture of his little baby when he was born uh, premature. Now seemingly the picture of the winning sculpture was in the Irish Times yesterday, but I went online. I went on to the uh, RC, the Royal College of Surgeons, their art uh, award. And it's the eighth year that they have been uh, running it in association with the Irish Times. And what happened was five pieces were shortlisted for the award for more than 560 works that were uh, sent in. And it's known as Ireland's largest and longest running exhibition of visual arts. So they whittled it down to a shortlist of five and this week it was announced that one of our own, Stephen Murphy from Ovens has taken the top award and if you go on to, if you yesterday's Times, you've probably already seen it but if you haven't, if you go on to, if you just Google the RCSI Art Award it'll come up and actually I've clicked on the, the Stephen's uh, sculpture and he, he this is what he called it. It's a newborn. The hardest day of your short life yet. yet. And it's a little sculpture of Stephen's newborn little prem baby. It's absolutely 
delightful and I'm so thrilled that he won that top award. So congratulations, Stephen Murphy from uh, Ovens. And also a big thank you to Councillor Bernard Boynan, who has contacted us. Bernard joined us in studio the week before last and he was promoting this big concert that was going on in the Canturk Mart and we had a bit of fun about how how a live animal mart was going to be turned into a concert venue. It was hugely successful with all proceeds going to Marymount Hospice and a number of people had contacted us after the event to say it was great and actually we had one person earlier on in the week is hoping that it becomes a regular event that they do a fundraiser every year for Marymount and others were saying look the event was so successful they should use the Mart as a venue for musical events in Kenturk. Anyway, Bernard has been on to tell us, and this is particularly good news to anyone who went along or anyone who gave uh, sponsorship. They raised €17,000 at the concert and that money will be so well received by Marymount Hospice. So if you went along, you'll be glad to hear that. 17000 And thank you to Councillor Bernard, Bernard Moynihan for bringing us up to date with that. 0818103103. John in Canturk. This is to do with hedge cuttings when somebody was on saying, you know, the, the, the hedges need to be cut and I'm pointing out you can't cut hedges between the 1st of March and the 31st unless you're cutting it for road safety concerns. Well, we had a call in from John in Canturk to say, that when he came home yesterday, he had been came from Cantor, came into Mallet to a bit of business. And when he came home, there had been a load of hedging thrown in over the ditch near his house. Now he said somebody nearby is cutting their hedges and decides to dump the cuttings in over John's wall. His neighbours luckily have cameras. So they went back on the cameras and they were able to see who was responsible. They phoned the gentleman. He's kindly come back and he's taken the hedge cuttings away. But John in Canturk is now saying, and wh- where has he gone with the waste? What would he do with it now? He'd like to think he'd bring it to a local civic immunity site. But if he, if he already thought it was OK to dump it in a ditch near your house, John, I don't even want to think where he's gone on to dump it now. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. An exhibition of photography, performance and film is opening tonight. It's at the Chapel Hill School of Art in McCroom and it starts at half past six. There are Cayley sets in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic dancing to Tim Joan and from half past nine admission 10 euro bingo is on in Mallow GAA complex tonight 8.15 with a jackpot of 5,000 euro and bingo is also on tonight in the store at the Creamery Yard in Kildallery with a jackpot of 1,900 euro Cork today on C103 and my apologies for some intermittent gaps on the programme today I'm struggling a bit with uh, my throat the old honey and lemon I think is going to have to come out for the weekend anyway back to some of your comments uh, Anthony when I mentioned the weather and what's happening with the weather I met Aaron are saying look they're pointing directly to climate change Anthony's making a point we know climate is obviously changing but we are still only now beating heat levels and storms that were recorded in the 19th century so what was happening back then says Anthony who I'm assuming is querying the whole thing to do with uh, climate change on electric bills and people getting a little bit of a fright with their electric bills arriving listen to this one my electricity bill has just arrived 
I'm an old age pensioner. My electricity bill for the last two months is €500. This is a madness. I know you have very basic electrical equipment in the house. That's incredible. Are you running heaters? I wonder, is it tumble dryers? If you're an old age pensioner living on your own, unless you're living in a very large house, 500 euro seems like a hugely, hugely excessive uh, bill. My heart goes out to you. It really, and living on an old age pension, it's hard to come up with that extra money. You know, you've got to cut back on something in order to pay that kind of uh, money and I would just say reach out and get help if you're struggling with it. I mean certainly the community welfare officer may be able to help you out if you're just living on an old age pension because there's very few people on an old age pension could afford an electricity bill that uh, high. Uh, someone else is on about Linda who has her problem with the uh, the water leak in her house and the ceiling coming in in a council uh, house and somebody was saying to get Linda to get on to her home house insurance and they should be able to sort her out. Linda was back on to say sadly she doesn't have house uh, insurance. And anyway, somebody's pointing out that house insurance will not cover wear and tear. And Linda said she's been in the house for 17 years, so it wasn't a, a burst pipe, you know, that you would get in the winter months, for example. Um, it very obviously is a wear and tear, so she's got to wait for the council uh, to sort it. John is listening to us in Blackpool and says, I heard you talking about that poor woman, Linda, who had the water leak in her house. Well, I can tell you a story, says John. My friend who lives in Blackpool, they had a fire in their bedroom. That fire happened one and a half years ago. Guess what? She's still waiting for the City Council to do the repairs. So Linda may have a little bit of a wait, even though she is in the county rather than in the city. Now, hopefully not. And I know we suggested that she gets on to local councillors, which she's doing to see if they can expedite it in, in any way. But I'm assuming it's going to be a case because she's gone on list. They're waiting for a contractor to become available. And I take it they're limited in the number of contractors they actually have. Are the funds, are they limited in the funds that they have uh, as well? Hi, Patricia, hope you're well. I am, thank you very much. You're talking about hedge cutting on the programme this morning. Well, just to tell you, there are two tractors with hedge cutter equipment and they are cutting the hedges between Milford and Drumcolour, Milford in County Cork and Drumcolour in County Limerick, which is absolutely shopping, shocking when birds are nesting. Now, they're not meant to be doing that unless they can prove and they have permission to do it uh, because under the Wildlife Act, they shouldn't be cutting hedges for that very reason because the birds are nesting. But if it's proven that it's a road safety concern, so then and only then are they able to cut the hedges. So I take it that that is there some road safety uh, issue? 0818 Did you see the census? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of one of those nuts when it comes to figures. I love numbers. I love anything to do uh, with uh, statistics and the the CSO, the census that we all took part in last uh, year. And of course, we have the census every five years and then they they keep bringing out all the different information. So much comes in. They can't reveal it all in one go. But this is an interesting one that they released uh, yesterday and it's to do with where people are born in the country and where they decide to remain living. And almost three quarters of people living in Cork City and County, guess what? They were born here in the county of Cork. And that's the highest proportion anywhere else in Ireland, according to last year's uh, census. So why would anybody move from Cork? Isn't it the best place to live? I hear people cry. Now, it's the first in-depth profile 
from the census uh, 2022 and the Central Statistics Office publishing details on the population distribution and the movement of people that featured on census night in April of last year. While Cork has the highest proportion of residents who were born in Cork and remain living in Cork, it's at 72.5%. Meath are on the other end of the spectrum. Poor old Meath, only 32.4% of its population were actually born in County Meath, which is complete, the complete other end of the scale to us here in Cork. The national average of people remaining living in the county in which they were born is 60%. So we're doing well. We're really doing, we're, we're well up there. Or we are the highest, but we're doing well, 72.5%. Uh, a further 20% then, this is on nationwide, 20% of people were born abroad and that's an increase oh, on 2016. It was 17% of people were born outside of Ireland living here on uh, census night. And of the 4.1 million residents born in the state, 74% lived in the county where they were uh, born. The CSO also provides details of people born in Cork and then where they migrate uh, to and what cities they migrate to. This is interesting. The data shows 151,746 people born in Cork live in Cork City and the suburbs. A further 16,788 Cork-born people now live in Dublin City and the suburbs. 2,285 Cork people are living in Limerick, while just over 1,000 Cork people are living in Waterford. And then you look at the other side of the spectrum, if nearly 17,000 Cork people are now living in Dublin, the question to ask is how many Dublin people are living in Cork? Well, it's way less. It's 5,461 Dubliners have decided to move to Cork. So three times more Cork people have moved to Dublin than Dublin people have come to Cork. Now, elsewhere in the statistics, the census found that there was 49 towns in Ireland that now have a population over 10,000. And the Headline finding of last year's census marked the first time in 171 years that the population of the state has exceeded the 5 million mark. And five counties, according to last year's census, five counties now have a larger proportion of people than they had before the famine. And that's Dublin, Kildare, Wicklow, Meath and Louth. More people living there than was living there before the famine. But we've now topped the five million mark with 4.1 million Irish people who were born here, still living in, still living here and a large proportion of them remaining in the county of their birth. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. This is Martin in Fomoy texting us in Patricia. Just wondering about that guy who contacted you to say he went home yesterday and found that somebody had dumped hedging uh, near in, into his uh, ditch. Well, says John, Mrs. Martin. I've been a gardener for over 20 years and I'm of the opinion that if you put hedging or any other cuttings such as grass etc onto a ditch or even on the grass it will only rot back down into the ground. It will actually help the ground. By the way I've got a cert from a horticultural course so I know what I'm talking uh, about. 
So just, yeah, but I suppose it was the fact that they dumped a large amount of cuttings. It wasn't just, a, it was a little bit of cutting from the he- the hedging. I think it was how it was described, um, was a lot of hedging thrown in over the ditch near John's house. So it was very different and just a little bit of trimming. But you're right, if you can let it mulch back in, it certainly is uh, good. Also, uh, Martin says, Patricia, there are parts of the road so much overgrown with grass and tree and trees and briars that you can't see if traffic is coming towards you. That is highly dangerous. And someone else is making the, the same point when we're talking about hedges being caught and people are saying shouldn't do it because of the wildlife. Uh, Sean in Lep says on hedge cutting, surely people's lives are more important than the birds nesting. And that's one of the reasons in the Wildlife Act, which stops people from cutting hedges during the nesting season, except under the exception in the case of road safety uh, concerns. So they do pe- put people's lives ahead of uh, nesting birds where people are asked, where possible, not to cut the hedging and to keep, uh, to keep it safe for the birds that are nesting at this time of the year. Just on driving, by the way, I was astounded by this and I was going through uh, the papers uh, this morning because we'd been talking this week, you know, on road safety and on slowing down and about learner drivers and learner drivers driving unaccompanied. And I had a chat with Susan Gray of the Park Road Safety Group and they support people who are who've lost a loved one because of a road traffic accident. And, you know, and I mentioned about Susan's own case where her husband was killed by a learner driver who was driving without without anybody in the car with them and speeding at the time. And it was just an awful, really, really shocking uh, case. So she, she, you know, she's a woman who, you know, really speaks from the heart when it comes to road traffic, ac- road traffic accidents and how we all need to be careful when we're out there. And that led to a number of people talking about how crazy it's gone with people driving while on their mobile phone. And, and I'm not just talking about being on your mobile phone, taking a call because we're not meant to do that. We're not certainly meant to have the phone in your hand. Like we had one listener was saying he's a truck driver, so he's up high. And he said he can't get over when he pulls up at the traffic light or if he's overtaking somebody when he looks down on, on the other car to see people and they'll be watching maybe a television programme or they'll, or they'll be having a FaceTime chat with somebody. He said, while well, they're driving the car, it's absolutely crazy. Well, it seems... Gardaí are encountering more and more motorists who are doing exactly that. They're either watching a video, they are watching a live streaming of a TV TV, uh, programme on their phone or they're having a FaceTime conversation with somebody while driving. But the sting in the tail here is the Gardaí cannot prosecute them because they're not in breach of any road traffic Laws. This all got highlighted at a policing authority meeting yesterday where the assistant commissioner, that's Paula Hillman, and she's in charge of road traffic policing. She said on Gardaí Corner have raised the issue at meetings with the stakeholders and she said the stakeholders includes the Department of Justice because once a driver is not physically holding the phone, then they're not committing an offence under any current laws, which seems absolutely bizarre. She was at a meeting yesterday in uh, Drogheda and she says what we are seeing now, more people having FaceTime calls are FaceTime messages, you know, they're they're looking on their Facebook at, at messages scrolling up along. Are they watching sport? And she said, are they watching a television programme? But she said there is no offence of distracted driving. So she said that is something they've raised at 
their partnership meetings because the offence that currently is on the statute books that you can only be done for is physically holding the mobile phone. And, uh, you know, she went on to give the, the figures then for drink driving because actually we mentioned drink driving when we were talking with Susan Gray during the week. 3,335 detections for, how the Gardaí put it, intoxicated driving. It's largely down the same period last year, but that's so far this year. Still, I, I thought we had moved so far away from drink driving. I thought it was just such a, an, you know, an antisocial thing that nobody would get behind the wheel of a car and risk with drink. But obviously not if we've got that many people already detected so far this year. But isn't it crazy? Isn't that an anomaly in the law that you can actually put your mobile phone up on the dashboard and be driving along and you could be streaming the TV you could be coming home of an evening and watching Coronation Street or EastEnders or Fair City or whatever you're having yourself or it could be a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and you, you want to catch up on the football match and you could be watching the football as you're driving along but there is no you're not breaking the law because there's no offence of distracted driving because obviously that's what you would be doing if you're trying to follow a TV programme and watch the road at the same time. Makes no sense to me. 0818 103 103. And John O'Donovan heard me calling out the Central Statistics Office their the latest findings from it's a more in-depth profile from the census of last year and the headline for all of us is that Cork as a county has the highest percentage of residents who are born in the county and remain living in the county and John says people stay in Cork nowhere else in the world with an 86 year old woman be called a girl and an 80 year old man be called a boy Cork today on C103 as we say good afternoon to Mark Malone how are you doing Mark? Hi Patricia okay two movies for us no hard feeling uh, feelings and the second is Extraction 2. Here is a trailer from No Hard Feelings. Stop! Gary! Court order for asset seizures. So they're taking my car? You went radio silent on me. Is that what this is about? Buongiorno! That's my cousin. Gary, I swear to God, he's my cousin. Mm. He's my second cousin. There's something seriously wrong with you. I'm an Uber driver and I don't have a car. I'm going to lose my house. You think I chose this? Look at this. Need a car? Date our son this summer and bring him out of his shell before college. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal. Date is in quotes. It's got to be a joke, right? We've just been so worried about our son. He's going to Princeton in the fall. No, I've heard of it. You know, we tried everything to bring him out of his shell. He doesn't come out of his room. He doesn't talk to girls. He doesn't drink. So when you say date him, do you mean date him or date him? Yes. Date him. <laughs> this is right. They're setting up their son. Yeah, they're called high helicopter parents. Have oh, you heard yeah, this expression? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I well, don't, I don't they, know. The, yeah, I don't. they hover all over. We only yeah. we needed an interview about it oh, la- last oh, week. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, it's news to me. Um, yeah, this is a, what they call a raunch com, uh, Patricia. Ra- oh, it's raunchy. It's a raunchy film. Ooh. Yeah, it is very well, much. Well, Jennifer indeed. Lawrence, isn't it? It is Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. Yeah, who is producer here as well. And uh, I saw an interview with her recently where she says, "Look, if um, if you're easily offended, there's something in here to offend you." Oh. So yeah, so she meant she's she's taken a brave kind of decision to kind of. Make this because tonally it's a bit all over the place and it's a bit uncomfortable an awful lot of it do you know do you remember American Pie the television yeah, the, the, the film yeah, I was yeah. watching it again recently and I was thinking it was made back in the 2000s and I thought there's no way in the world you could make this film no, now there's no, no way and uh, so it's kind of caught everybody by surprise it was the same when I kind of went to see this and I was thinking 
what year is it? I mean, considering what's happened pre, over the last 10 years especially and with regard to sexual politics, it is very, very strange that she should make a film like this. And she's completely in control of everything that's uh, in the film. And uh, it is, as I say, totally very, very odd. And as you're watching it, you're thinking, what is she trying to achieve here with this, with the raunch, with the, the silliness and the, the, the whole kind of basic storyline, which is very, very odd indeed. Uh, you heard this. But by the way, it took me about an hour to edit that down to something that we could play on the radio too by the way um, you know and if you do see the trailer by the way the trailer is about three minutes long don't look at the trailer because the trailer is basically the film yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we heard the two parents there and they have this uh, this son these parents uh, one of them is Matthew Broderick by the way Ferris Bueller and uh, he and she are very very rich indeed um, whereas on the other hand we've got Jennifer Lawrence here who's a very very working class girl about to lose her house she's about to lose her trailer, house because she's yeah. no money because she's lost her car she's an Uber driver first of all yeah. <laughs> you have to believe that Jennifer Lawrence could be an Uber driver, which... Uh, Why not? <laughs> exactly. And so she's lost her car. She has no money. She needs to get a car. She sees uh, an ad uh, in the paper, uh, which has been uh, produced by um, the, the parents of this young man because they basically want him... He's off to, going off to college and they want him to come out of his shell because apparently he just spends most of his time in his room and uh, playing video games. And so they hire her and they tell her to date him, in inverted commas, uh, which is very, very strange indeed for parents to kind of behave. Um, he, he's over 18 now and everything, isn't he? He's 19, he? yeah. But right, the problem, okay. part of the problem is that he looks about 12 and it's very, very uncomfortable because uh, in the film, uh, Jennifer Lawrence plays a 32-year-old in this film. And uh, and there's been kind of talk about that, although people have used an, an example of uh, the film Silver Linings Playbook, for example, with uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. And there was a very, very similar age between them in that film. But the thing is, is that uh, it was that was a much sweeter film and the character of uh, Bradley Cooper wasn't as sexual provocative and aggressive as uh, the character here of uh, Jennifer Lawrence. So Jennifer Lawrence meets the young man. She finds him a bit of a nerd. She finds that he's really, really sensitive. And she doesn't particularly like him very much indeed for that. And uh, is quite aggressive towards him. And um, and that's where a lot of the problems, I mean, for me, kind of um, um, uh, occur in the film because... It's a very, very uncomfortable watch. And the, f- the film is constantly kind of just trying to kind of uh, shock us by these kind of raunchy um, um, uh, scenes throughout the whole film, which are completely unnecessary. And they're, they're just there just basically for that reason. Yeah. Uh, they're not there to kind of, uh, you know, p- to progress the, 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 the narrative in any way, shape or form whatsoever. And, and the frustrating thing is that there's a really, really good movie here. There's a really sweet movie. There's a nice movie because when it's kind of sweet, it's, it's a little bit yeah. over sen- sentimental. But as the relationship kind of continues and basically um, instead of him changing, it's her who changes when she realizes the kind of person she's become, the kind of person she is and the way she's treating this young man as he becomes more fond of him. And um, uh, but then, you know, and as you be- begin to warm to the to, to the film, uh, unfortunately, then you just get the next kind of raunchy silliness and, uh, and 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 it kind of turns you off the film ever so somewhat. Look, she's terrific in the film. She's uh, the producer of the film. Uh, the young man is played by Andrew Barth Feldman. He is absolutely terrific as well. Um, and when, you know, there is a lot of slapstick in the film. And when the slapstick isn't kind of explicit, uh, it's actually really quite good and quite amusing. So it's a mix of all kinds of uh, things. And it's a bit of a shame. The film has done quite well. Um, and uh, so people have kind of warmed to it because, they, as I say, they don't really make stuff like this anymore because, you know, politically, you, you kind of think, well, they can't. I'm but thinking they, they the, the PC side of it, how has it gone down? Um, it, well, exactly. 
the game. Well, people, I think because of the fact that maybe she's a woman and, and so therefore people are kind of will, will accept that kind of behavior and that kind of, um, uh, that kind of age difference um, because of that. I don't know. Um, but there hasn't been too much criticism of it. Okay, people are right. supportive of it, you know. Okay, worth going to see? Um, <laughs> yeah. Mark it out ten. Five. Five. Oh, okay, five <laughs> out of ten. That's no hard feelings. Okay, your second movie is Extraction 2. I presume you haven't Follow seen up. it. No, I do this to you no, every week I know, and I shouldn't. I, know, I, I mean, I know of Extraction <laughs> 1, so I do know it's action thriller and all of that. I yeah. am aware of it, but no, not, not my cup of tea. But certainly a cup of tea for a lot of people. They love these movies. Well, certainly the first one, yeah. I mean, Netflix says it's, it's been their most successful film. But uh, as I said to you before, how do you gauge that? I'm not really sure because there's no box office to, you know, to yeah. kind of compare it to. Because uh, the film, the first one came out in 2020, uh, which was right smack in the middle of, so kind of lockdown. Was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So uh, I mean, and if you've got Netflix, what are you going to do? You're going to yeah, watch anything. Everyone was watching. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is that uh, the first film, I mean, it, there was a lot of action in the film. And um, the, uh, some of it I liked. Some of it I thought was really kind of boring. And, uh, and I thought it was okay. And so here we have uh, the second film. And uh, they've announced that there will be a third, by the way. Whoa. So if you certainly like this one. Uh, it has been pretty much uh, well received. Um, once again, Chris Hemsworth putting the action into extraction. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. He plays the character of Tyler Rake. So at the start of the film, Idris Elba makes an appearance and uh, says, look, we need you to uh, rescue this family from this Georgian, not Russian this time, but Georgian gangster. Uh, One of these gangsters that uh, have uh, basically an army behind him. Sound familiar? They always do. And uh, so he's got helicopters and he's got uh, all kinds of uh, heavy weaponry uh, at his uh, disposal. Uh, So Chris Hemsworth is asked to to go to this Georgian uh, prison and rescue this family, this woman. And extract them. And extract them, exactly. But it all goes wrong. And uh, her husband, who's this this uh, Georgian um, gangster, uh, passes away. Now, I should point out that uh, all this is in the trailer. So his brother, um, who is uh, the head of this kind of uh, Georgian mafia, uh, decides to take revenge and go after Chris Hemsworth. So the storyline is basically kind of that simple. The, there's a chase. They go after Chris Hemsworth as he's trying to save this family. Um, there's an action sequence at the start of the film, which is 21 minutes long, and it's all done in one take, by the way. I've, I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah and it is I, really yeah. quite extraordinary because the director here is Sam Hargrave, who also directed the first one. Now, he's a stunt coordinator. He was in the past. So this is a guy that knows his stunts and he knows how to put them on screen. It kind of reminds me of Hal Needham, who used to make all those uh, old Burt Reynolds movies in the past. He, too, was a stunt coordinator and kind of made Smokey and the Bandit and all those kind of films. So here's a director who really knows how to do stunts. And the thing is about that sequence, though, is that it does become very, very tiresome after well, a while. Well, 21 minutes is a long time for it, a sequence. I, I yeah. know what they're trying to achieve and it's incredible what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. But it just, to me, seems oh, a bit long, 21 minutes. Yeah, and it does become quite tiresome because uh, basically he's just there's a lot of one-on-one combat. He's in, the the sequence is him trying to get out of this jail and basically there's a riot in the jail and so therefore he's just fighting off people one by one. Uh, Which is kind of ruined for me because I always remember I went to um, uh, Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon back in the 70s with my father and there's a sequence where Bruce Lee fights off all of these kung fu experts and I said to my dad, wasn't that an amazing sequence? And he went, well, yeah, if they if they go at them one by one, and so every time I watch kind of John Wick, and and it, the exact same happens, uh, and the yeah. exact same happens here. The voice of my, my father, father goes, yeah, yeah, well, if they, they go at them one by one. one. <laughs> so some of the actual sequences, though, really, really are extraordinary and uh, and are amazing, and I enjoyed those. This is, but there's some very silly stuff as well. There's a scene where he's firing out the back of a train at this helicopter who is firing this very, very heavy, you know, you know, uh, bullet at it, the fun. and he hides behind a ladder. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> 
and and the bullets hit the ladder, you know, and you're just ping, thinking, guys, ping, really. Yeah. And of course, the guy, the bad guys can't shoot straight. Uh, are, never, are never, never, no. And uh, I always remember. Um, do you remember Clive James? I do. He had this brilliant program once where he went to America way back in the eighties, and uh, he, he sh- decided to shoot a gun for the very first time. And uh, the guy who was teaching him how to use the gun, uh, he basically pointed at the target and hit the target, the middle of the target, every time. And he said, "But they always miss in the movies." And the guy says, "Look, Clive, in reality, with modern machinery, you point at it, you're going to hit it." <laughs> so there's an awful lot of bad guy shooting uh, throughout this film. Uh, there's an awful lot of action here, and a lot of it is very, very good. Some of it is tiresome, but if you love the first one, you will you love, love this. You love this extraction yeah. too, and it's out on Netflix now. Mark it out of ten. I'll give it seven. Seven out of ten. Listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week, you and too. we'll chat to you again next Friday. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy producing, and we'll be back with you Monday morning at ten. Onto the line, Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.